And that's chapter number 15, John chapter number 15, and uh, we'll be reading the verses, verse 9 through verse number 15. So John chapter 15, and we'll be studying verses 9 through 15. And if you're here this morning and in your bulletin there was maybe not the notes for the message, uh, you can raise your hand and the ushers will get you those notes. But in your bulletin there should be some notes of the message and that way you can follow along this morning and, uh, and hopefully the message will be a help and a blessing to you. So uh, if you need that, just raise your hand. The ushers will get right to you as soon as they can. John chapter number 15, verse number 9 to verse number 15. It says like this, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, and I, I thank you that in your word, we can find what it means to have a true friend, what friendship is truly all about. And in this day where we've invited friends to join us in this service, Father, it is important for us to understand what is your word and what does your word say about friendship. I pray that this morning as we study this passage, as we study uh, the theme of friendship, that you would uh, help us to understand what your word teaches. I ask that you would fill me with your spirit, that I would be able to communicate what it is that you've placed in my heart, and Father, that I would uh, not uh, say anything that you would have me not say, but that Father, guided by your spirit, I'd be able to give the message this morning that it would be an encouragement to someone here. And then I ask if there's someone here that is yet to make a decision to accept Christ as their Savior, I pray that this morning, uh, through this message, they would understand and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you once again, Father. I pray that you would bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen.
Newman, in his book, Out of Solitude, made this observation, and I quote, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives mean the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. The friend who can be silent with us in a moment of despair or confusion, who can stay with us in an hour of grief and bereavement, who can tolerate not knowing, not curing, not healing, and face with us the, reali the reality of our powerlessness, that is a friend who cares. You know, friends are truly amazing, are they not? They're always there when you need them most. During, during times of difficulty and heartache, they, they somehow are there to comfort you. They're, they're somehow there to support you in those difficult times. Uh, when there's times of laughter and joy, they are somehow able to just make the moment even better. I don't know if you have a friend that way or have experienced it, but friends have the ability to do that. In fact, I have found in my life that friends are so close that sometimes they'll even stick with you through a plan that has no chance of success, but they're going to they're gonna support you and go right through it with you. Now, if you're wondering what I mean by that, when I was about, uh, I don't know, uh, nine or, or ten years old, uh, I, I, I had a, a friend, my best friend, that helped me with a plan, and, and I'll never forget it. It's one of my f uh, fondest memories, and, and if you're over the age of, I don't know, maybe 50 and under the age of 30, then uh, this, uh, this particular item probably has no meaning to you. But if you're in between that age, this, this item is like the greatest item ever. This, this beats uh, the PlayStation 4, it beats uh, the PlayStation 3 or the Xbox. This is the original Nintendo Entertainment System. All right, 1985 is when this little system came out, and it was the greatest. Listen, you turn it on and you play it, guaranteed fun every time you play it, okay? I'm telling you right now, you cannot play this thing and not have fun. Well, one of the greatest games that they uh, invented for this little entertainment system is this game right here, Double Dragon. Now, this game was an awesome game. Anyone that's played this game knows how great this game was. But there's a problem when I had this game at the age of 9 or 10. My mom was not a fan of it. Uh, she was not a fan of this game. She felt like this game was a little bit, uh, I don't know, too, I guess you would say, violent uh, for someone my age. Now, if you've never played the game, I, I have a little bit of a clip, and we'll play about 30 seconds of it or so, so you can get an idea of the violence that was in this game at this time. Oh, you don't have to put the music on if you don't need to. But this was that, that was the cheesy, by the way, Nintendo uh, music that was there back then. And, uh, and, and so this was the game, Double Dragon. It was about two, uh, uh, I don't know if it was friends or brothers, I don't remember anymore, that they would uh, go and fight. And, and uh, there's just these different little missions that you would go through. And uh, as you're going to try to finish the game, uh, you can see uh, that crazy violence right there of the, uh, of the kicking and the punching. And I know it's very gory, and some of you that are 13 are laughing at me right now. But let me tell you, this was really bad back then, just to give you a, an idea of how far we've come along in uh, Nintendo and violence. But uh, that's enough of the clip. Thank you. I think that proves the point of why my mom was totally against it. But I remember I loved playing that game. 
and, and my best friend as well. And I remember borrowing that game from someone at school. I don't remember who it was. Somebody had it, and they let us borrow it. Well, as I said, since my mom was not a fan of the game, uh, she took it away from us, and she hit it. Uh, I remember it was like on a dresser pretty high or something. I, I, it was somewhere like that hit, and, and, and I saw where she hit it. Well, since uh, me and uh, my best friend there were having a good day, we thought, why don't we make the day a little bit better? Why don't we go to your house and uh, let's take the game with us? And he said, well, how are we going to do that? I said, easy, easy. I have a plan. All right, this cannot fail. I said, let's do this. I know where the game is at. I'm going to show you where the game's at. Now, when your dad comes to pick us up, I'm going to go distract my mom, okay, and you get this tiny little game. You're only like nine years old. Put it in your pocket. She'll never know, okay? I'll distract her. You run to the car while we're doing that. We'll get away with it. So uh, sure enough, my friend who is a good friend, a man that's just loyal and is going to follow the directions that I give him, decided to do that. So I went, and uh, when his dad pulled up, I went and distracted my mom. She was in the kitchen, and I was there telling her, you know, okay, well, we're going go to go uh, to Josue's house now, and, and uh, we'll be back later. I'm sitting there, you know, waiting for Josue to go by, you know, and he, he's got the game finally, and I see him walk out, and uh, he runs to the car, and uh, I just tell my mom, okay, Ma, I, I got to go now, you know, um, they're, they're waiting for me. So we take the game. We go to his house, and we're playing. And we might have even been on mission three, just like what we were watching here, when the phone rang. And uh, when I was at his house, I mean, I really didn't care who, who was calling. You know, back then we had phones in homes. And, uh, and so his mom would answer. And uh, so she answers the phone. She's about talking to somebody. I don't know. We're not really paying attention. We're trying to beat the game. Well, I heard a phrase in that conversation that just scared me half to death. She said, well, Anita... They're playing a game, and uh, she asked, what game are y'all playing? And of course, I was just playing. Well, I'm playing Double Dragon. Yeah, it's a cool game. It's fine. And she said, well, Anita, they're playing a game called Double Dragon. Well, I knew my mom's name was Annette, and my aunt would always call her Anita. And I said, oh, that, that what are the chances? <laughs> Did mom really figure out my plan? Well, sure enough, she did figure out my plan, and both me and my best friend, uh, we got, we got reminded of why we shouldn't uh, steal things and disobey. But my friend was there on that day and was willing to just go with me that extra mile. I don't know about you. I don't know if you have a friend that way, but, but friends are truly amazing. They really are. I believe there's qualities in a person that make them your friend. There are, there's something that's in each and every person here that when you invited your guests this morning, you found something in them, a quality that really uh, made you attract yourself to that person that connected both of you. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about friends. The Bible says that a friend loveth at all times. One of the things that really brings us together as friends and connects us as people is this quality of love. The Bible says in a friend, you find someone that loves you and someone that you love. You find that friends are people who show you love and what they say and what they do. But then you have another quality in friends, and that is the quality of truthfulness. In fact, the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And what that verse is talking about is how sometimes a friend will tell you things that you really don't want to hear, but you need to hear. Everybody needs a friend that can be honest with them, that can tell them what they need to know. 
And we find that the Bible says a real friend is someone who's not just going to pay lip service to you, but someone's going to be truthful with you. Someone that's going to confront you when you're wrong. Someone that's going to help you see what you need to see. And then another quality that the Bible talks about is a, a friend should be sacrificial. A friend is someone who is willing to sacrifice what he must for his friend. I'm telling you truly, friends are amazing. But this morning, I don't want to simply talk about friendship and friends in general. What I want to talk about this morning is the greatest friend that you can ever know. I'm sure everyone here has friends, and, and many of us maybe have more than one friend. And if you had to rank them, you probably would rank them according to the experience that you've gone with them, the experiences that you've uh, confronted with them. And sometimes you say, man, this difficult experience, this friend was there. And I think that was a very close friend of me. I think they would be one, one friend that I would, would consider to be a close friend. But this morning, I want to talk about not just a very close friend. I want to talk about the greatest friend that you will ever have. You see, those three qualities I talked about, you can probably see them in someone that you know. But in the greatest friend that you could ever have, those qualities are a million times better. I want to talk this morning about the three amazing qualities of the greatest friend you'll ever have. You say, well, where do we find that in John chapter 15? If you open once again to your Bible... I want you to notice there in John chapter 15, and let me just tell you a little bit about what's going on. Jesus is talking with his disciples. This is the last time he's eating for the last time with his disciples. It's known as the Last Supper. And he begins to speak to them about what is coming. The fact that he will uh, be not with them anymore, that he will be leaving them shortly. And he's, he's trying to comfort them. He's just talking with them, giving him, if you would, uh, if you would his last words. And in this time, I want you to notice what he says in verse number 9. He talks to them and he says this, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. You know, the greatest friend I'm talking to you about is this man named Jesus. And the reason that he's your greatest friend is because, number one, of his love. Because of his love. You see, Jesus tells his disciples here, as the, the Father hath loved me, so I love you. Now, let's just take a little bit of a closer look of what that Father's love is. I want you to look in Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 3. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse number 3. And you can look at it if you don't have a Bible here on the screens. And you'll, you'll see in Jeremiah 31.3 it says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. You know, one thing about the greatest friend you'll ever find, who is Jesus Christ, you'll find that his love is everlasting. It is an everlasting love. You say, well, what does that mean? It means, number one, that it's unconditional. You know, for most of our friends here, our love is based on their love for us. Usually friendships start when someone's being nice to you and, and then you begin to be nice to them. In fact, the Bible says a man that has friends must show himself friendly. And sometimes our friendships start because we're being nice to someone. But very rarely do you find a friend and someone that always hates you and someone that never treats you right and someone that would consider themselves your enemy. 
You don't find friendship through that road many times, but I want you to know about God's love for you and for me. Do you know that his love is an everlasting love? It's an unconditional love. That means you don't have to earn his love. You don't have to try to be nice to him so he can be nice to you. God says, I love you regardless. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth or showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One thing you find about God's everlasting love is that it is unconditional. He loves you no matter what, no matter what race uh, you are, no matter what income you have, no no matter what success you have, God still loves you whether you're a success or whether you're a failure, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. God loves you unconditionally. But that everlasting love does not just mean that he loves us unconditionally. Let me tell you something about this friend. His love is something that you and I do not deserve. You see, we don't earn God's love today. He loves us despite who we are and what we have done. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. First John 4.19 says, We love him because he first loved us. The greatest friend, Jesus Christ, loves you and me with an everlasting love. He told his disciples, As the Father hath loved me, with that kind of love is the way I love you. Unconditionally. You don't deserve it. You don't have to try to win my love, Jesus told his disciples. I love you regardless. It's an everlasting love. But I want you to notice, not only is his love everlasting, it's unfailing. In Romans chapter number 8, verse 35 to 39, listen what it says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, he says, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. He goes on to say, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that God's love, do you know that Jesus' love for you is not only an unconditional, everlasting love, but it's an unfailing love. There's nothing that can get you out of God's love. Let me me just say, God's love is unrestrained. God's love cannot be stopped by the passage of time or by the circumstances of life. His love is always there when we need it most. He's a friend that will never fail thee. Isaiah 49 says, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. He says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. You know what the prophet was saying? He's saying God's love is unfailing. He says, uh, just like uh, whatever's in your hand, you remember what's in your hand. You, You think about it. You look at it. He says, my love has you in my hand. You see, God's love is an unfailing love. It's everlasting. It's always with us. You know, God's love is unbreakable. It's an unbreakable love. You know, there's a saying in English that says, when the going gets tough, 
The tough get going, perhaps you've heard that. Do you know that God's love is very much like that? When things get tough in life, when things get difficult, God's love is always there. God says, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. God's love says, I'm always going to be there for you. The greatest friend you'll ever have is Jesus Christ because he'll never leave you. He'll never let you down. Psalm chapter 91, verse 15 and 16, he says, He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That's the kind of love that God has for you and for me. Jesus says, as the Father hath loved me, I love you with that same kind of love. It's an everlasting love. It's unfailing love. Let me tell you, your best friend cannot love you that way. Only Jesus has that kind of love. But I want you to notice, not only is he the greatest friend because of his love for you and me, but he's the greatest friend because of the truthfulness that he has. You see, there are two aspects to being truthful. There's the one that, uh, there's a side of truthfulness that applies to who we are, right, internally. And then there's the side of truth that is what we say externally, what we say to others. The one that is internally, we, we know that as integrity. Now, I want you to look at God's integrity. Look at the Lord Jesus Christ as he, as he shows his integrity. Integrity is simply being truthful in oneself. And this is the key, by the way, of every true friendship. Every friend that you have that you consider a close friend, you look at them and you say, there's something about them. They have character. There's something about them that draws me to them because they're good people. There's something about them because they're truthful and honest. they're, They're people of good character. They have integrity. Let me share a little bit about God's integrity is. You say one, uh, one part of God's integrity is that he is holy. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. One part of, of God's integrity is that he is holy. God is set apart. He's different than anyone else. Jesus is different from any other friend you've ever had. He's different from uh, any experience you've ever had. Jesus is different because he is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus shared with his disciples, and we find that uh, he shared with them about his holiness. Let me tell you, uh, because he is truthful in who he is and his integrity, not only is he holy, but he is always right. You know that God is never wrong. Never. God being right is not determined by what I think. It, doesn't depart, it, is not, it is not determined by my opinion. It's good for you and I to just understand right off the bat that God is always right. What makes Jesus the greatest friend that he's always right. I like what Psalm chapter 19 verse 8 says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. One thing that we find about Jesus is that he's always right. And whenever you're in the right, that's when you find the most joy in your life. That's where you find joy that is everlasting. That's where you find joy in the midst of storms in your life. When you understand that God is always right. We find that the truthfulness of our greatest friend is that he is a man of integrity. A man that is holy. A man that is always right. But then he's also 
honest. He's not just someone that has integrity of who he is, but he's always honest. Honesty is the second aspect of truthfulness. It is being truthful to others. Integrity is being truthful to myself, meaning my character, but honesty is being truthful with others. I want you to notice in verse 15 of John chapter 15 what he says. He says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. He says, Why? For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. He said, Listen, I've been honest with what I know. A friend is always honest with other friends. You see, God always tells us what we need to hear. Because he is a God that is truthful, because he is the greatest friend you'll ever find, you'll find that God will always tell you what you need to hear. Not always what you like to hear, not always what you want to hear, but always what you need to hear. John chapter 4 tells a story of a woman that was there at the well, and Jesus began to speak to her. And she was a woman that was a Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans and the uh, Jews, they didn't get along. It was, it was a, a, uh, almost a racist kind of thing where they just did not get along. They would not talk to each other. They would not communicate with each other. They would not have a relationship with each other. I mean, they, they, the, the Samaritans were on one side and the Israelites were on the other side and they wanted to keep it that way. But Jesus begins to talk to this Samaritan woman and, and she's a little bit shocked about that. She said, aren't you a Jew? He said, yeah, well, well Jews have no communications with Samaritans. We, we don't talk. But there Jesus was still talking with her, proving, by the way, his love for her. But I want you to notice in verse number 15 that it says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. Neither come hither to draw. And Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast said well, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that thou saidest that, you said truly. And the woman said unto, her, unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. You know what Jesus confronted her with? Something that she needed to hear. She didn't want to hear, I don't have a husband. Yeah, he said, you're right. You don't. You've had five. And the one that you're living with is even your husband right now. You know, that's a little bit hard to say sometimes. It's a little bit hard to hear sometimes when we're not living right and someone tells us, hey, you know what you're doing is wrong. Hey, you know what you're doing is displeasing God. Man, it's hard to hear that sometimes. But you know, a real friend is someone that will be honest with you. That will tell you when you're not going on the right path. And Jesus told this woman, Hey, listen, I, I have living water. I have, but listen, before I give you that living water, you need to know some things of who you are. Man, he was very honest and upfront with us. You see, he always tells us what we need to hear. But let me tell you something else about this great friend. He always tells us what is best. Not only what we need to hear, but what is best. I want you to notice in verse 26 there, John chapter 4, he tells this woman after saying that, he says, Now God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saying unto him, I know that the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, and when he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak with you, I am he. Jesus said, I am that Messiah. I am the one that has the truth. And I want you to notice in verse number 28, it says, And the woman left her water, part, uh, her water pot, 
and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? You know, that, that woman went to that place in, uh, at the well there in Samaria. She, she went there just to get some regular old water, but she found someone who was honest with her, told her what her greatest need was, told her what she needed to hear, and told her the best news she ever had. That's what a great friend does. He's truthful. And you'll notice when truth came into her life, the Bible says she left the water pot. She left what she was doing because she found something greater. She found something satisfying that water could never satisfy. You know, there are things in this world that we sometimes go after thinking that they're going to satisfy us, but they never do. Sometimes we look for a friendship thinking, if I can have this friendship, then I'll have everything I need. But can I say you don't find friendship in, in someone that has fallen, someone that cannot be truthful with you? You don't find an everlasting friendship unless you find the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Unless you find the everlasting truth that he is. You see, what makes him the greatest friend you and I will ever have is that he is truthful. He's truthful. But I want you to notice lastly this morning that the third quality in a great friend is one that is sacrificial. One that will sacrifice. You see, a friend can always be measured in what he is willing to give up for you. Sacrifice is a sign and a characteristic of friendship. Now, I want you to look in John chapter 15 that we're studying. Notice what Jesus said in verse number 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, let me tell you what kind of friend I am. I'm a man that is willing to sacrifice myself for you. And you say, well, what does that sacrifice entail? Well, sacrifice entails our service to people. Our service. Are we willing to give all we have to serve others? A friend is always willing to serve, even when it isn't convenient. In fact, our closest friends are people that we know when we are uh, in, a, in, a, in a bind, when we are in a, in a situation that we really need help. It's the fir first person you, you call. That you know, hey, it doesn't matter if it's midnight, they'll answer the phone and they'll come and help me. That's a friend. Someone that's willing to sacrifice sleep time, uh, willing to sacrifice anything they have to, just to come and be a help and to serve. Can I tell you something about Jesus Christ? The Bible says that he was a servant of all. Mark chapter 10 says, And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Do you know that Jesus Christ left glory, left heaven to come and be a servant to you and to me? That is sacrifice. That is a true friend. Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. You see, Jesus Christ is the greatest friend because he sacrificed everything to come and serve you and me. God came to not only be a servant, but to give himself for others. John chapter 13 tells us just a couple chapters before the passage that we are studying this morning. It says, after they ate, 
After they ate, Jesus, it says, he riseth up from supper and lay aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. You know what Jesus did to show that he loved them, to show his truthfulness, to show them that he was the greatest friend that they could ever have? He began to serve them. He began to wash their feet. That wasn't the, 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 the job that everyone wanted to do. It wasn't the first thing that everybody asked to do. Oh, can I, can I wash everyone's feet? Can everybody take their shoes off and let me just wash their feet? That's not what people wanted to do. Usually that was delegated to the lowest servant in the house. But there wasn't nothing too low for Jesus Christ. That's why he's the greatest friend you'll ever have. Because he came to serve, to give of himself. But not only did Jesus come to serve, can I tell you this is the most important thing about his friendship with you? That Jesus came to save. In fact, from the very beginning, we find that Jesus came to die for us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The greatest purpose for why our greatest friend came into this earth was to die for you and for me, to save us from our sins. John chapter 10 says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Jesus told them, his disciples, Listen, I can be your greatest friend. Let me tell you why. Because I die for you. I can save you from your sin. You say, why, why do we need to be saved from our sin? Well, very simply, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 23, for the payment of sin is death. It's death. You see, we need someone to save us from our sins because if we die in our sins, the Bible says we die condemned. And there's a payment for that condemnation. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, that all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire which burneth forever and ever. It's a place that we call hell. You see, there's more than just death here on earth. The Bible says there is a second death, a spiritual death, an everlasting death. And if you die in your sin today, the Bible says that will be your destination. And that's why the greatest friend that you can ever have tells you and tells me, I laid my, my life down. Why? To save you. You see, you don't have to die in your sin. You do not have to pay for that sin that is within you. See, the Bible says the payment of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus said, I came to die for you, to die for your sins. But not only did he came to die for our sins, he also came to give us life. You see, the Bible says in John 10.10, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. 1 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made, sin, uh, made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus Christ is the only one who's ever conquered death. There have been others that have been raised from the dead like Lazarus, and the Bible talks about him. And there's been others in the Bible that came back from the dead, but they only came back for a little while. They died again. 
But Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is alive forevermore. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. And the Bible says that he said to his disciples, and he promised to you and to me, that just like he lives, you and I too shall live. You see, Jesus came to give life. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. You know what makes Jesus the greatest friend you can ever have? It's because he loves you. Because he'll always be truthful with you. He is the truth. And because he sacrificed himself for me and for you. He died on a cross and rose three days later and conquered death so you and I could conquer death one day. You see, the fact of the matter is we may die and this body will die one day. It will, it will rot and deteriorate, but there is a new body, a resurrected body that Jesus has promised to those that will call upon him. Those that will make of him their greatest friend. I say that today you will not find a better friend than Jesus. He is great because he loved us. He's great because he is the truth to us. He is great because he sacrificed himself for us. The question today is, will you make of him your greatest friend? He wants to be, but you must ask him. You see, to be his friend, you must accept the invitation that he offers. That's why the Bible says, and as many as received him, you have to receive and accept him. To them, the Bible says, gave he power to become the sons of God. This morning, this idea of friendship and of having the greatest friend comes down to a decision that you must make. A decision that each and every one of us must make. A decision that our parents cannot make, that our church cannot make, that religion cannot make, that only one person you can make. And that is receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior. The question is, will you receive him today? He's the greatest friend you'll ever have. Charles Weigel was an itinerant evangelist, a man that loved God, a man that was preaching much of his life, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there came a point in his life, because he was traveling and gone so much, that his marriage began to, to have a little bit of turmoil. And at the age of 61, after preaching a revival service, he came back home and found a note. And on that note, his wife had written him and said, this life isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I'm just sort of tired of living this life with you, and I'm leaving you. That day at age 61, Charles had to confront the reality of being alone. His wife had left him. It threw him into a great depression. In fact, he began to consider suicide as a way out, as a way of dealing with his problems. Charles Weigel at that point, decided that perhaps it wasn't worth it in, in his depression to just keep going on through life. But praise the Lord, he began to get out of his depression as he began to read more and more of the Bible, as he continued to fortify himself with the faith of Jesus Christ in his life. He began to get restored and renewed and became active once again in serving God. And after coming out of that depression, he decided that he wanted to write 
Just write a poem that would just describe his experience through that time in his life. And he wrote this song. He wrote, I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus. Since I found in him a friend so strong and true, I will tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me. All my heart was full of misery and woe. Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me, and he led me in the way I ought to go. Every day he comes to me with new assurance. More and more I understand his words of love. But I'll never know just why he came to save me till someday I see his blessed face above. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. That friend can be your friend this morning. He can be the greatest friend you'll ever have. The question is, will you receive him? Will you make of Jesus your greatest friend? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you because, Father, you're a God that loved us with an everlasting love. Father, there wasn't nothing lovable about us. Oh, the sin that indwells us is a sin that curses you, a sin that despises you, a sin that disregards your word and your truth. Oh, but Father, your word says that you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son and that whosoever will believe on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, we are not worthy of such a friend. But Father, we're thankful today that that truth, the truth of Jesus Christ came into our lives. Father, I pray that this morning we would recognize what a friend we have in Jesus. And I pray that this morning if there be anyone that has not made of Jesus their greatest friend, if they have not made of Jesus their Savior, that today they would do so. As the piano begins to play, just one stanza. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, Pastor, that, that friend of who Jesus is, that's a friend that I need today. Because to be honest, I, I've been in church many times and I, I've heard many preachings, but I've, I've never truly put my faith in Jesus Christ. I've never truly made of Him my greatest friend. And this morning, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. This morning, I want to make Him my greatest friend. And I would love for someone to just show me in the Bible how I can receive Jesus as my Savior. If there's someone like that this morning, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. I want to have somebody show you in the Bible how you can be saved. I see one hand there. Is there anyone else? Anyone else I see? God bless you. Anyone else? Let's say, pray for me, Pastor. I need that friend. I'm going to ask if everyone would stand to your feet at this moment. And as the piano continues to play, 
Perhaps God has spoken to you about something. Uh, perhaps God has spoken to you about your friendship with Him. If you'd like to just come by the altar and just take a moment to thank Him for being your friend. Perhaps He's already your Savior. Perhaps He's already your greatest friend. And you'd just like to take some time to come and thank Him. Then I want to give you time to do that. I want to say if you're someone that raised their hand and said, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, if you would just come up, I'd like to, I'd like to have someone show you. I won't embarrass you, as I said. But if you come up, someone will discreetly come and just show you in the Bible how you can be saved. If there's someone like that, just come up now. I'll be right here in the front. If there's anyone like that that would come and say, I'd like to know Jesus as my Savior. Anyone that'd like to make that decision this morning. Father, we just thank you once again because we found in you a true friend. Father, the message has been given and I pray that we would each and every one of us apply it into our hearts. May we always remember what friend we have in you. Father, I pray even as we dismiss in this service this morning, if there's others that would still like to make that decision, I, I pray that they would make that choice and receive Christ as their Savior. Oh, Father, may they make of you what no one else can make. May they make a decision that no one else can make for them. Oh, Father, I pray that your word now, as it has been planted, would begin to flourish in the hearts of every hearer here this morning. We thank you once again. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you would be seated at this moment, don't go too far, Pastor John.